Hello, folks, and welcome to The Farm, a podcast dedicated to culture, parapolitics, and high weirdness in all its many forms. This is your host, Recluse, a.k.a. Stephen Snyder, the longtime curator of the Visa blog and author of A Special Relationship, Trump, Epstein, and the Secret History of the Anglo-American Establishment. If you like what you hear here today, be sure to check me out at visupview.blogspot.com. That's V-I-S-U-P-V-I-E-W, all one word, .blogspot.com. And procure a copy of that book and my other works at the Farm's official store, which is at thefarmpodcast.store. That is the farm podcast on one word dot store. And please consider signing up for the farm's Patreon. You get two additional full length shows per month. That's between three and four hours of bonus material with exclusive guests and content. One of the most recent ones, uh, the secret history of the gifted program was quite a barn burner and uh, very uh, closely related to the topics discussed in this particular episode. For this outing, I am joined by two repeaters. The first one is the great Mark from Husatonic Live. And the second is the ultimate repeater, the reoccurring figure of John Brisson of We've Read the Documents. All right, guys, this is part two of my discussion with Mark and John concerning the murky history of the U.S. biodefense. With this second installment, we're going to pick up with a discussion on that is often overlooked, apartheid South Africa and its role in chemical and biological warfare research. From there, we're going all out. 9-11, Ukraine, Wuhan, the vaccines, and even Dr. Robert Malone are on the docket. Mark will also continue to explore the different factional rivalries within the U.S. government concerning biodefense. This is an epic conclusion, so let's kick out the jams. So let's talk some South Africa for a moment. Uh, By the 1980s, South Africa developed what some have alleged was the second most sophisticated chemical and biological war program in the world. It's only, uh, it's only being uh, the Soviet Union being its only real rival. In other words, it was potentially the most advanced CBW program in the Western sphere of influence by the end of the Cold War. The principal program was known as Project Coast and that it would be widely uh, derided by a rogue regime is uh, most interesting, that it would be run by such is most interesting. In point of fact, that was the beginning of a pattern that we shall see time and again throughout the course of this podcast as we get into kind of the LS section here, namely the U.S. silently partnering with dubious governments and CBW research. And the capper for all of this is that the labs used to carry out this research have always had substandard safety procedures. It's a curious thing. In the case of uh, the South, uh, the main South African lab, I believe it had a... Um, safety rating of three i mean again you know this kind of research when it was done domestically here at least in theory it was always done at labs with the safety rating of five i think the soviet union it was a minimum of four south africa was a three i mean if i'm not mistaken i think wuhan was like a two so anyway uh john boy what else you got for us brother Yeah, so I I guess I want to just talk briefly, I guess what I'm going to go over about Project Coast um, is Israel's uh, involvement um, with uh, South Africa bio 
defense research must be real as biological weapons program. Um, so, uh, Wouter Basin was a former commander of South Africa's biological weapons, uh, program testified before the nation's truth and reconciliation commission, uh, prior to his, uh, uh, murder, uh, and fraud trial, which he was later, uh, acquitted. Uh, Basson stated that he was having uh, one hell of a time going all over the world. Um, and, um, he, he uh, told to a law enforcement official, uh, that he had traveled to uh, Libya, Iran, Syria, Egypt, and Israel. He mentioned, he actually also mentioned meeting officials from North Korea. North Korea. Um, and uh, the uh, law enforcement officials said, of course, we're con convinced he only told about things uh, he thought we already knew. Uh, Bassan also told U.S. officials he had learned the technique uh, from Israeli government scientists, a claim that cannot be independently verified as far as we're talking about the creation of uh, biological weapons. Uh, Bassoon uh, and at least one other uh, member of South Africa's biological chemical weapons team made extended trips to Israel in the 1980s, according to testimony and documents uh, cited by authors uh, Gold and Folb. The two countries at the time shared a similar mindset. Both saw groups inside their own borders that threatened the country's survival. So that would be both um, Africans in South Africa, uh, as well as the Palestinians in Israel, uh, said a U.S. government weapons and an analyst with firsthand knowledge of Project Coast and its aftermath who spoke on the condition of anon anonymity. The enemy wasn't another nation state, but pockets of individuals within their own population. Uh, so we have a little bit of information separate uh, from uh, Basson, but it still um, involves him. The only record of a foreign trip by SADF officer with regard to chemical and biological warfare, apart from those conducted by Basson, is a document which the TRC made, a uh, Truth and Reconciliation Commission, made available to the public during its 1998 hearing. The document author, Command, uh, Commandant Rudolph Liu, was appointed uh, to the Army's uh, uh, direct projects, whereas task was to provide vehicle engineering support to various project officers. In 1986, Lou was instructed to carry out a project study on nuclear, chemical, and biological warfare for the South African Army. Based on his findings, the SADF decided he should not pursue the nuclear component, that the biological component would be the responsibility of SAMS, and the Army would assume responsibility for the chemical component. Lou was then appointed project officer for academic, the Army's defensive chemical warfare program. Lou reports on a trip undertaken to Israel, West Germany, in 1986 by the uh, South African Defense Force and Arms Corps personnel, accompanied by Uwe Pashki, son in law of P.W. Uh, Botha, representative of the company Patek. It was assumed that this trip was undertaken with Lou's brief to procure defensive CBW equipment for the various branches of the military. Four days that Lowe was sent to visit West Germany and Israel by Basson. The purpose of the visit to Germany was to exposure to selective industries related to CBW and to visit the German Military Chemical and Biological School. One of the places visited was the company Odenwald Work Watersbach. When alone, it remarked that he was received unusually warmly with the company company showing an excellent understanding of South Africa, specifically the South African Defense Force. He also does the company did not want to do any business uh, with Israel. In contrast, the report notes that the visit to the CBW school was unsatisfactory. No information could be gathered. Or reported the trip to Israel. Israel was, however, successful. Proposed that uh, SADF considered a CBD training package that Israel could offer. The summary of the visit of the report states it provided personal contact with experts in the field of CBW 
and establishment of relationships that would be followed up. Access was gained to industries which were formerly inaccessible. A basis was laid possible with cooperation with Israel's Ministry of Defense, the film of CBW. A wider insight with regard to philosophy and key problem areas. Confirm that South Africa is still in early stages. The program is fundamentally sound and up to date with the latest developments. Confidence was built within the South African Defense Force was acknowledged as a partnership in the in defense CBW. This would not be announced, especially in Germany. So they didn't work with Germany. They ended up working with Israel. In these times, reports that in January 1999, the British Medical Association began warning the world of the dangers of ethnic-based weapons. According to the report, Biotechnology Weapons of Humanity made no direct charge. It said that the BMA could no longer ignore the varied reports as such um, racial-based uh, ethnic weapons were currently being developed. The report concluded weapons could theoretically be developed with effect to particular versions of genes clustered to specific ethnic or family groups. The possibility of producing such weapons have been enhanced with the 2002 completion of the Human Genome Project. Well, <laughs> completion. Uh, and in 1999, British Medical Association study was provoked in part by 1998 study in the London Sunday Sunday Times, alleging that Israel had already developed a ge genetically specific weapon, a name South African sources, according to a report cited by the Times. So Israeli scientists have used some of the South African research to try to develop an ethic bullet against Arabs, the Palestinians. Uh, recorded links between Israel ethic weapons and South Africa's Project Coast are tentative. Uh, but the possibility of such links is terrifying, justifies as much scrutiny as was focused on Iraqis' imaginal arsenal of weapons of mass destruction. The program is said to be based at the Biological Institute in Nez uh, Tazonia, the main research facility of Israel, Israel's clandestine arsenal of chemical and biological weapons. On a Salon article of December 1998, article uh bill richardson who was former uh, deputy associate secretary of defense responsible chemical and biological warfare programs uh under the uh, reagan and bush administration uh that were supposedly done away with uh states bill richardson no of new mexico uh yes i believe so yes huh so uh um states i have no doubt that israel has worked on both chemical and biological offensive things for a long time, Richardson said. I don't think you'll find much on it. We've always seemed to have a double standard on Israel compared to things talking about threats from other countries. There's no doubt they've had stuff for years, but getting anybody to say anything publicly about it is going to be pretty hard. Richardson and others said uh, Israeli biotech industry is as good as, if not better than the United States, having pioneered such devices as pregnancy tests and means of detecting an anthrax attack. However, Israeli's development of an ethnobomb from Operation Coast, Bill Richardson said, I think it's nonsense. Even if an ethnobomb was developed in a petri dish, there's a long leap from having a mechanism of having environmental viability, a weapon or a vector or a means of dissemination of such ethnobomb, Richardson said. So it seems to me that it was very likely that Israel and um, South Africa were working on uh, biological and chemical weapons together. Uh, possibly for the development of maybe ethno-based uh, weapons. Uh, and um, it was known. And of course, you know, if people want to say that's KGB propaganda, all you progressive open source intelligence researchers out there, I want to bring to your attention now, of course, this is speculation of the massive involvement of the Council for National Policy in both Israel and South Africa uh, during the 1980s and beyond uh, continuation relations with Israel, not so much with South Africa, uh, during and uh, after apartheid. Uh, so to think that the CFP did not have any knowledge or any involvement of this uh, would be... Um, 
unlikely. So what's your thoughts on that, Recluse? Or... Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think there's definitely a possibility of a CMP role, no doubt. And to, you know, put a little bit of a historical perspective on this, too, uh, Nixon theoretically ended the U.S. Uh, chemical and biological warfare research around 72, 73. It was around 75, I believe, that South Africa began to massively build up its military presence throughout Southern Africa. A uh, couple of years later, you started to see uh, a large, uh, or not a large, but a uh, at least given the size of the country, its resources, a fairly significant uh, CBW program in Rhodesia uh, run by the Seleucus Scouts, who were the, part of the special operations forces of the country. And um, a lot of those uh, individuals uh, would end up uh, gravitating to South Africa after Rhodesia film became Zimbabwe in the early 1980s. And that was uh, kind of the genesis for Project Coast. But the point I'm getting at with this, uh, obviously, the U.S. you know theoretically had abandoned the CBW program. I, I, uh, my hypothesis is, or I would speculate rather that uh, a lot of this research continued uh, in kind of out of the way uh, places uh, where there was not a lot of media attention, and Southern Africa, especially, even though it was a very significant front in uh, Reagan's Cold War initiative. I mean, of course, you know, when we talk about all of the uh, guerrilla wars that we plunged the uh, Soviet Union into in uh, Afghanistan, really throughout Latin America, I mean, Africa was also a big part of this strategy, uh, specifically in Southern Africa, but it's almost never talked about. And I think a big part of that is because of all of the, uh, the CBW stuff that was going on in apartheid South Africa and the surrounding area, starting with Rhodesia and then continuing on really uh, extensively with South Africa. And um, another interesting part about uh, the end of apartheid, uh, kind of playing into um, some of the stuff that Mark was uh, alluding to earlier with the Rockefellers and I mean, how they're, um, some of these rivalries can get really intense. Um, I think it was the second to last prime minister of South Africa. I can't remember his name, but he was the one who had massively built up the uh, CBW program. And he had suffered a uh, rather sudden stroke or heart attack, I think, or something that had left him incapacitated around 1990. And he was quite fanatical and probably would not have uh, conceded to a, uh, a peaceable transfer of power. Uh, to the ANC, and then um, his successor, there was a, uh, a quite considerable amount of rumors that uh, he had agreed to the transfer after he had been bought off uh, for a rather considerable amount of money. So, uh, yeah, it seems like also uh, going into the final years of apartheid South Africa, there were a lot of intrigues going on, and in light of some of the things that Mark is saying, I kind of think a lot of that had to do with that CBW program that they had built up uh, in South Africa and what was going to happen to it as the Cold War was coming to a conclusion around 1990. So that's something else to keep in mind. But uh, this is a topic that we're going to explore a lot more in a future uh, installment of the International Fascism Series. George and uh, George of Kevdev and I are going to look into this more in depth, uh, at least. So, yeah, it's uh, going to be an interesting subject. Uh, John, South you... Africa. 
Uh, I was just going to ask us, yeah, as even that South Africa also had a, a rather large atomic weapon uh, program. That came from um, Israel, supposedly. Yeah, that came well, from see, Israel. I, I wonder if the, the atomic weapon thing was actually a cover for the CBW one, because, I mean, that was yes. what, you know, got a lot of the attention in the 1980s and drew mm. a lot of the concern. And then it was only because we didn't even really realize the extent of the South African CBW program, I think, until like the late 90s, early knots and what have you. And I mean, you know, there's a lot of other stuff that went on with this, just a lot of weird stuff, because, I mean, another thing I think about Project Coast that's really significant is it was not just the fact that it was run by South Africa's military, but specifically it was run by their special operations forces, okay, this would be more or less the equivalent if we gave the Joint Special Operations Command, JSOC, like its own, you know, massive chemical and biological warfare program, not, not the Pentagon or the Department of the Army or the Marine Corps or the Air Force or even like the Defense Intelligence. I just, just we're going to give JSOC, okay, a huge, massive chemical biological warfare program just for the sole purposes of running counterinsurgency operations, okay? That was like really significant. I, I can't think of like a precedent for that prior to just you know giving special operations forces that kind of control over something that's significant which might have also been a factor in you know some of these intrigues that were playing out in south africa but i mean yeah there was just so much going on with that and then i mean how this would play into um you know the research that was done in the mdma and ketamine yeah crowd control yeah. drugs i mean you know this is a really deep subject uh and the aids that, epidemic itself uh which yeah, yeah, yeah i think i think killed more people more people died of, of aids in south africa well again it, you know <laughs> and then anywhere also, else in the world which uh is uh very seldom like it, yeah. Well, see, and that's another interesting thing, because, again, during the Angolan uh, Civil War, it was later revealed that, you know, cause Cuba had sent a large detachment of troops uh, to participate in that. And it was um, the South African special forces who principally fought against them in that conflict. And it later came out that one of the commanders of the special operations forces had deliberately uh, sent prostitutes to the Cuban troops that were, they knew were infected with AIDS. Um, Cuba had had almost no instances of AIDS prior to the Angolan War, and South Africa had deliberately infected a lot of their troops with HIV, uh, which had led to outbreaks later uh, in Cuba and the aftermath of the conflict for the military personnel. So, I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on in southern africa during the 1980s that uh, a lot of people do not want to trust <laughs> no not at all and i guess one thing i want to mention is when you were talking about bill richardson you're talking about the former governor right of new yes. mexico okay because no it's not the same person because i was thinking you're talking about billy richardson's involvement with los alamos and los alamos's investigation in the anthrax which he was. There's two different Bill Richardsons. I'm going to start calling my Bill Richardson Billy Richardson. Because Richardson, okay. he was uh, in Epstein's Black Book, right? Yes, but these are two different Richardsons. Yeah, um, yeah, I know, I know, but that's just that's kind of interesting in light there uh, of Epstein's later ties to some of this odd research. So, so out of the stuff that we, the documents that we got on the CMP, 
Uh, can I read just a really brief thing from a 1983 visit to the CMP went to the South Africa real quick? Oh, go for it, please. A six-member delegation from the CMP found South Africa a friendly, prosperous nation whose security is vital to the United States, but also found a nation facing enormous political problems, which seems to have no easy solution. The delegation left New York for Johannesburg on March 13th and returned on March 26th. Council President Thomas F. Ellis served as chairman of the delegation. The delegation visited Johannesburg, Pretoria, Port Elizabeth, Cape Town, and Savvy Savvy Game Reserve. We with cabinet members, members of parliament from all major parties, black leaders of various persuasions, business leaders, trade union leaders, colored leaders, and average citizens. Members of the delegations include Mr. Mrs. Kathy Teague, who would later become Kathy Teague Rothschild. She would marry Rothschild. Executive Director of the American Legislative Exchange Council, Mr. C. Victor Thornton, President of Thornton Industries and former world leader of the Shriners. Mr. Cliff Over Overcash, Senior Partner of Overcash Goodman Enterprises, a former mayor of Fort Worth, Texas. Mr. Dick Schaff, Director of Lincoln uh, Log Homes. Uh, of course, I think it was, uh, was it, Ballant wrote about uh, Schaff in his book, The Course Connection, CEP Connections, uh, and Mr. Lewis Woody Jenkins, Executive Director of the Council for National Policy, focused on most discussion throughout the trip was South African government's proposal for a new constitution, which calls for whites to share political power with coloreds. <laughs> this is the 80s. I mean, color, really? Well, I have to interject there when they, I'm assuming it's colored spelled with a U, right? Yes. In South Africa, that was a specific racial designation, I believe, for individuals who were of uh, white and Indian descent. Um, oh, okay. Well, still, I mean, but that, yeah. I think that makes more sense because they're differentiating them from uh, from black. Uh, yeah, black yeah, yeah. They were basically, um, yes, yes, the South Africans of Indian descent principally. So... Yes, that's why it's, and I, I think they might actually still use that term in South Africa. I'm not 100% sure about that, though. Don't hold me to it. But it was still used fairly commonly up through the 90s, early knots, if I'm not mistaken. So, but at that particular era, it, it didn't have the same... Um, you know, uh, it, it didn't have the stigma that colored did in the United States during the era when the CMP was using that, I should say. Okay. Okay. But interesting. Okay. So, you know, just interesting. They all met with the you know, South Africans parliament. It's interesting that the CMP who claims that they, you know, just a pretty much a, a luncheon group. Okay, as Phyllis Schlafly or Joel Scalzen would say, should I say, not Phyllis Schlafly, uh, see if you remember Joel Scalzen, um, that they were holding foreign trips to meet with heads of state after well, they had just been formed in 1981 and is now in 1983. Well, that's really so. significant too during the Reagan era because this was at a time when, you know, we theoretically weren't having any, you know, official communications with apartheid South Africa. This was when the sanctions and stuff were really starting to set in and they were theoretically isolated. So, I mean, that was probably also a way for the Reagan administration to maintain indirect ties to the, uh, the hierarchy of the South African yep. government during that time yep and they tell a polish joke in this uh article how many polls does it take to score the light bulb one so there you go Womp. classic cmp classic uh all right that's enough of this so. all right um 
All right, uh, Mark, you know, you'd alluded to this a bit earlier. Do you uh, do you have anything else to get into as far as, quote unquote, biodefense and 9-11 go? Uh, <clears throat> uh, yes, I mean, we're closing down and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to sputter a little bit on fumes. <laughs> uh, but this is uh, a couple of important points or uh, bullets to add here uh, to tie it uh, to 9-11. Uh, I, I'm still relatively new to this world of, of let's just say, questioning the official narrative. Uh, since uh, September 11th, most of those years, I would have been a person who uh, would have uh, thrown the remote at the television if anyone, uh, you know, told jokes about uh, inside jobs or uh or, uh, you know, anything of that nature. I uh, just would not have uh, liked uh, such shade to have our doubts to have been thrown at such a, uh, a horrible uh, event. So it wasn't easy for me to to, to get to uh, this point uh, once I uh, did start uh, doing some of my own investigations. What I've observed about September 11th, 2001, and which really uh, had a compounding effect and led me to just uh, view a lot of things very differently, like continuing to encourage people to not just view it as one deep state versus the people or some nonsense like that, was that if you go through uh, U.S. newspapers, um, uh, do keyword searches, you'll find that the word bioterrorism, one word, uh, did not appear anywhere, anywhere until about 1996. It, it, the word just kind of popped up. Now, the biological weapons were spoken of before then, but the term of using bioterrorism, uh, you know, a biological weapon used for no reason other than to terrorize people, make them scared, like something that would have been um, built in someone's garage by terrorist people who like to do terrorist things. That word popped up in 1996. And immediately afterwards, there's a bioterrorism council. Uh, of course, this is under the uh, Clinton administration uh, with many big names at this council. And is a, a meeting that is, uh, uh, was captured in many of the U.S. newspapers with a lot of big names uh, at this council meeting in 1997 or early 1998. Of course, uh, President Clinton was there. Uh, his, uh, the uh, Director of Health and Human Services, uh, Donna Shalala, was there, who went on to become the president of the Clinton administration. Uh, the, I mentioned before, Dr. Joshua Lederberg was there. Matter of fact, that Lederberg sat directly across the table from Clinton as, a, uh, as an expert on the potential risks uh, to the United States, to the uh, security of American citizens from bioterrorism. Uh, Jerry Hauer <laughs> was at that meeting. Uh, that is the Jerry Hauer who uh, led the emergency response uh, efforts uh, for New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani for quite a few years and then left to uh, join Kroll Associates, I believe, just before uh, 9-11. Uh, and then actually became a uh, special assistant to the uh, HHS uh, just a few days before September 11, 2001. Uh, Craig Venter, the, uh, who was the head of the Human Genome Project. Uh, for some time was there. Huh, interesting. What's he doing there talking about bioterrorism? 
Thomas Monath, uh, who uh, was a uh, uh, colonel in the U.S. military, uh, had, had a very high-ranking level of uh, vaccine research at USAMRID, uh, actually owned a company that uh, offered West Nile virus vaccines uh, just in time for the uh, uh, the West Nile virus outbreak to um, uh, to happen in 1999. Uh, that Thomas Monath went on to actually be the boss of Robert Malone at New Link Genetics in uh, 2014, as well as serve as a uh, the scientific advisor for Metabiota, <laughs> working directly with Nathan Wolf. Metabiota right now is getting a little bit of recognition with respect to Ukraine. So I bring this up to highlight that there was a sudden ramp up in concern of bio, a bioterrorist event uh, starting in 1996. There were nonstop meetings, uh, councils and groups talking about the risk to American citizens of a biological weapon being used by terrorists in a large U.S. metropolitan uh, center, most likely a place like <laughs> New York City. Just going to throw that one out there. And it continued to ramp up. Uh, during the year of, uh, during the early spring of 2001, there was a, uh, a three-day uh, summit, if you will, in U.S. Congress where one person after the other came up to talk about U.S. preparedness and readiness to handle uh, a large-scale uh, bioterror attack with all the names that you could possibly think of that who would have uh, involvement in something like that coming up and testifying. And of course, the running of the hearings. There are more hearings about bioterrorism attacks, anthrax or smallpox in late late summer 2001. Four days before September 11, 2001, uh, uh, the uh, U.S. Senate uh, Council of Foreign Relations, which was head by then Senator Joe Biden, uh, had a, a full day session again to talk about the risk of a bioterror event, anthrax, or smallpox in a major U.S. metropolitan center like New York uh, with all of your other favorite cast of characters there who uh, seem to always be showing up concerned about the risks to Americans of uh, biological weapons. And of course, the conclusion is always the same, guys, to the audience. It's always the same. Well, you know, you can't stop it. So we might as well just start talking about what we're going to do with the vaccines. It's always a foregone conclusion. Uh, you know, someone's going to break over the border. Somebody will figure out how to make something in their bathroom. Um, so it's, it's always the same, you know, let's just, uh, let's just skip over all of that boring stuff and go right to what are we going to do about vaccines? Right. And uh, are we, should we be prepared to hand the country over to FEMA? Should something like this happen? And that was a big, big talking point all throughout 2001. Well, what are the conditions that we turn over control of the United States to FEMA when and if a bioterror attack should happen in a major U.S. metropolitan center like anthrax or smallpox, possibly in New York City? This is days before September 11th, 2001. Okay. And then September 11th, 2001 happened. And what happened? There were plane hijackings, all Boeing, matter of fact. And uh, oh, one hit the Pentagon. Um, the other two, there's a lot of questions about exactly how they piloted those planes to hit the World Trade Centers. Uh, several thousand people died. 
uh, many more thousands have died afterwards because of uh, uh, all the different types of uh, pollutants which were released. Uh, and it's a debate exactly what they were. Uh, but what isn't deba- is not debatable is how many lives were lost. I, I know uh, of, a, of, a, of a fireman uh, in, uh, in New York City who, uh, uh, who passed and have talked with some of their families. Actually, some were our friends with the uh, sanitation department in my small town of Southboro. So how is that a bioterror attack? Well, it's not. And then what happened the day after the attack? On the morning, September 12, 2001, uh, then Senator Joe Biden is on the air. Buildings are still, you know, there's still fire and smoke coming out. They're still pulling bodies out and doing rescues. And uh, he makes an off, uh, off of the cuff remark that we should be worried about what the terrorists are going to do next with respect to biological weapons. Huh. Why did your mind already get there? The week or two after September 11th, they're calling in people like Anthony Fauci into the White House to see, uh, you know, well, what are the terrorists going to do next? It could be a bioterror attack. Uh-oh. There's the whole ordeal with the Building 7. Why did that building collapse? Nothing hit it. Why did they rope it off? Why were they all in hazmat suits? What was going on there? There's a lot of questions. But, you know, what didn't happen is there was not a large-scale bioterror attack. And, in fact, the United States Pentagon saw its largest budget increase in decades over the next uh, year or two, basically was saved. Boeing got a big investment. And the United States was not hand, control of the U.S. was not handed over to FEMA. Matter of fact, FEMA never got control. However, because of this new t- threat of bioterror, which was proven because of a few anthrax letters, um, we created something that's almost as big as the Pentagon called the Department of Homeland Security and stuffed it with fear of everything else that you could possibly imagine. You know, germs and computer hackers and uh, everything just stuffed it all else. It's basically Pentagon 2.0, you know, other stuff you need to be worried about. And uh, and Senator Hillary Clinton of uh, New York State, one of her first moves after September 11, 2001, was to ensure that it got control of the United States Department of Agriculture. That is the uh, Department of Homeland Security, which included. The, the Plum Island Animal Research, Animal Disease, uh, Infectious Disease Research Facility, which John uh, spoke about before, as well as uh, future control over the, the Plum Island Replacement, which is a national agro-bio uh, research lab in Fort Riley uh, or in the town of Manhattan, Kansas. So this, my, this hypothesis just started to brew in me, and it's been building, that September 11th may not have been some people that just wanted money, you know, they, they cashed out in the insurance or it's because this nation, you know, infiltrated and just, I don't know, wanted to perform this attack for this reason or that reason. It, it wasn't just a, per, a reason to go off to war with Iraq. There's, I see September 11th as really about two armies within the U.S. like officially going to war with each other. And one which is now actually larger and more well-staffed than it was back in 2001, uh, its strategy was going to be to use FEMA to take over the U.S. And FEMA would have been the end of the Pentagon. I mean, it's that simple. So uh, what happened? Well, another event happened. 
And then, well, you still need to U-turn it back to being somewhat about biological weapons. So then we had anthrax letters, which seemed to be a remarkably poor and uncoordinated event and nowhere near the scale of what they were talking about nonstop during the year 2001, going up to like, like the two days before September 11th, 2001, they're still talking about bioterror, specifically anthrax and smallpox. If you view September 11th that way, and then you can see that not just a few dollars, we're talking hundreds of billions of dollars and trillions of dollars over time, as well as potentially control over all this genetic research. Who's going to control it? Is it going to be, uh, is it going to be some uh, uh, National Health Institute's group that uh, you know, initially was given it by FEMA? Is it going to be the Pentagon? Why does the Pentagon have its own HIV program and, uh, you know, and the Department of Homeland Security through one of its sub agencies have a HIV program and there's an HIV program over, you know, there and there and everywhere else. It's nuts. It's totally bananas. I, I, to, when you stand back and, and you look at it, if you look at September 11th, 2001, why is this enormous book? defining a narrative of, of new vaccine technology, in particular DNA vaccine technology and uh, new recombinant vaccine technology coming out the week after September 11th, 2001. What did Patricia Thomas know talking to all these people about HIV research and, uh, and new vaccine technology, which just might've been needed just in case, I don't know, maybe uh, a large scale uh, bioterror attack happened and FEMA now has control. Why did we have a pharma guy running the Department of Defense, Rumsfeld? Uh, that doesn't make any sense. What it, most people don't know that uh, 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 Cheney's uh, 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 right-hand man, Scooter Lippy, has his nickname is Germ Boy. These are people who are fanatical about not biological weapons, but about vaccine mandates. They always have been, and they always will be. Germ Boy. Uh, Germ Boy, Germ Boy Scooter Libby, who, by the way, did get pardoned uh, by uh, by President Trump. That's Still right. Germ can't Boy. Figure that one out. But that's Germ Boy. And the more I look at it, the more I see September 11th is really a, a very complex event, which was ultimately going to be anchored in bioterror. But it's an interagency battle. Um, with enormous geopolitical consequences, as opposed to. I don't know. Israel just wanted some money, you know, or, you know, whatever, whatever lame excuse it was. Uh, it doesn't work. They just don't work for me. And here we are 20 years later, and I'm seeing a lot of the same players. Matter of fact, last I checked, Biden's still president, or at least his his carcass is president, you know, who's actually really president right now. It's the, the people are still there. <laughs> Not much has changed. Uh, since then, uh, and, and and it highlights just how much money, like I mean, all the money and all the power is is right now involved in this war over who's going to control, who is on top of the stack of genetic research. That war is still ongoing. It's very ferocious. Um, interesting too because it kind of seems like it's also a battle you know effectively for the continuity of government as well oh yeah 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 it was fema fema's been downplayed now correct fema's been downplayed 
but again, you know, there was a discontinuity of government because of COVID-19. Uh, a lot of the same excuses being used, you know, that we need to change everything. We need to shut things down. We need to change commerce. Oh, this germ is just so bad. Uh, but uh, the other thing that happened on September 11th is that up until then, it was going to be bioterror, 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 bioterror. But the problem with bioterror is that it means you're blaming it on a specific terrorist. So you need to then find that terrorist and you need to find that lab that made that bioterror uh, pathogen. And you know what? As we saw on September 11th, they couldn't do that. So you can't pull that, that, uh, that uh, you can't play that game over and over again. And that is when we pivoted or somebody pivoted to going from bioterrorism to all in zoonotic events and emerging diseases. And what, uh, 18 months later? And actually, it wasn't even 18 months later. It was like a 16 months later. Boom. SARS. Then, then, then MERS. Then swine flu and bird flu and this flu and that flu and this respiratory virus. And then ultimately, then there's Ebola and this and now and then coronavirus. It's been a nonstop series of, uh, of all zoonotic events, right? It's always a bat and a pangolin having a go at it under the moonlight creating some new virus in a bat soup market, whatever. You can't point a finger at anyone. You can't blame any government. It just happens. So ultimately, you need to forfeit your, your rights, accept the biosurveillance, roll up the sleeve, and get the vaccine. Don't ask questions. Uh, <laughs> and, the, and it has total sponsorship by the World Bank. It's the top levels of finance and world government. They, you know, they, they can't spare a dime to give someone a clean glass of water, but they will spend whatever it takes when it comes to vaccines, even if it's something that's not really a risk. The, let, just let the, let's let how they act speak for itself. John? Absolutely. Absolutely. I got nothing to say. You have lots Covered to well. say. Come on, add your spin to this. Come on. Uh, I got nothing. I got nothing. I got nothing. You said it. You said enough. You. I mean, you are. You have done so much research on anthrax and biodefense, bio warfare, more than almost any other researcher out there. I know Robbie Martin's done some research on it, but his pales a comparison to yours. Man, hats off. Because I I can't match anything you said. All right, uh, sticking with biodefense, how does it uh, relate to Ukraine, Mark? Russia and Putin have their story about why they are making uh, their uh, performing their military operations in Ukraine. They have said that Ukraine, uh, with support from the United States, possibly NATO, has been doing. Uh, research into uh, biodefense technologies, uh, which could be used offensively and possibly even race-based against um, uh, Russians, uh, people of a Russian ancestry, whatever that means. Really, Caucasians uh, who are uh, Russian. Slavic ancestry. I think yeah, there's a there's a fair amount. Russia is not uh, purely uh, like a like a single 
Yeah, that's a valid Genome, like point. Japan. I think, yeah, I think it's, it's mixed. only like 50, 60% of the population. And I mean, they, I think like, yeah. we have the largest uh, Islamic population of a Western country outside of France, right? Uh, perhaps it's, it's very, it's, it's actually rather diverse though. Uh, when, uh, when you think about it, yeah, I know most Russians are whitish. Yeah. Like most Americans you were know, white, you know, <laughs> uh, but, uh, at the same time, uh, it's, you know, America is a, is a rather mixed up country. You know, there's, there's very few people in, in the U S who are uh, pure anything. Um, it makes it uh, unique, especially in the era. Think about it in the era of race based potentially. I'm not even sure if they can actually do this, right? But they've said that there exists technology to do race based uh, biological warfare. Let's say there is, for argument's sake, USA, it would be very difficult to target because everyone, uh, there's almost everyone's a different mix. There's so many different mixes. Uh, it, it's it's within the USA, um, whereas China, I think, is like what ninety something percent uh, one particular uh, uh, bloodline. Japan is close to one hundred percent. South Korea is 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 quite pure. Liberia would be a, would be rather mixed up. Uh, Russia's interest is is rather diverse. A lot of European countries are somewhat diverse, uh, but there's some which uh, you know places in Africa and Asia that are not possibly they could be more vulnerable. I wonder if what thing that China is reacting to right now is possibility of something of uh, the threat of really something really bad race-based in their uh, that they've sensed or uh, they have a, a heads up on. I don't know. I'm just throwing that one out there. Yeah. And uh, if but I, if I could interject yeah. for a moment, no, please. Obviously, I mean, you know, the origins supposedly of a lot of this research were in, um, you know, apartheid South Africa in the 1980s, at least the contemporary research, I should say. Um, Israel was uh, supposedly a partner of that, but um, there were also longstanding rumors that Taiwan was a partner as well. Which is interesting because the apartheid regime, it definitely was collaborating with Taiwan, but it did have covert relations with the PCR, um, People's Republic of China, too. So it's interesting. They were essentially playing both sides towards the uh, latter days of apartheid. So there's a lot of dynamics in all of this playing out. Hmm. Uh, wow. Yeah. Taiwan in there, too. Why, why am I not surprised? Uh, or at least Taiwan being used uh, uh, that way. This doesn't speak any, not, we're not speaking about the Taiwanese people. We're just talking about nations being used, uh, uh, utilized, leveraged. Uh, but back to Ukraine. I don't know if any of these claims that Russia is making are true. There's no doubt that the U.S. has funded a pretty fair amount of biological uh, pathogen research in Ukraine, that the United States has chosen to fund the storage of pathogens in Ukraine, uh, that the United States has made investments in this research, which could be viewed, that do have the optics of, of uh, potentially being um, looking like they could be antagonistic. The optics are not good. Now, does the U.S. have what Russia has said they have? I don't know. I've, I have refrained from saying the U.S. has a biological weapons 
research uh, and production program in Ukraine. There's no hard evidence of that. At, at, at the extreme end, you could say that, you know, bio defense is dual use and maybe some of the anthrax stored there could potentially be used offensively, but it's definitely not the purpose of it. Uh, however, the U.S.'s investment through agencies within the Pentagon and elsewhere within the United States um, have lent to these optics. So it's hard to say that uh, Russia's off their rocker in line when they make these accusations. Russia could be just taking advantage of an unstable political situation in Ukraine and and, uh, and uh, dissent within the United States um, to uh, to expand their territory and control. Or maybe the, uh, the accusations made by the uh, defense, uh, the biological, uh, the biowarfare defense minister of Russia are totally accurate. I don't know. And just because I'm extremely unsatisfied, to put it mildly, with my government here in the United States, that doesn't mean that Putin's the hero. That is, uh, do not think that way. I don't think that way at all. Although I do admit that um, sometimes seeing some of these idiots running the USA getting razzled, it makes me a little happy. Uh, but that said, we don't know exactly what's going on there, and the, and the investments have been poor. Now, some of these companies, which have been used as subcontractors in Ukraine, this is where it gets a lot more complex, okay? And we'll try to boil it down. A really good video on Truth Factory Cat, by the way. Check it out. Uh, she did a great job. Uh, reduces it to, like a, I think, like a 15 or 18-minute video. Well narrated. A lot of good visuals. Uh, a lot of people... Uh, uh, produced in a way that I think a lot of people who are unfamiliar with the topic could uh, digest some of it. But some of these subcontractors, which have been used in Ukraine, uh, include a company called Black & Beach, which then subcontracted to a company called Metabiota. Okay, I mean, you've heard of Metabiota right now. Now, Metabiota has also done some work in, uh, in China, uh, and they've also had a, uh, a huge role in the Ebola outbreak response in West Africa, 2000, uh, what was that, 2013, 14, and 15. Their CEO and founder is a fellow named Nathan Wolf, uh, W-O-L-F-E. Metabiota initially received some funding from a, uh, uh, what would you say, a hedge fund firm or uh, a private equity firm called uh, Rosemont Seneca, whose founders were uh, Kerry, uh, Kerry, uh, former Secretary of State uh, Kerry's son, and uh, current President Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden. Was it a ton of money? Was it all the money? No. But you could see how this becomes now. Uh, it looks like a lot of conflicts of interests of uh, presidents and Secretary of State's children, investing firms, companies providing, uh, working as subcontractors, Within this nation of Ukraine, um, where uh, there, the U.S. seems to have a, a, an inappropriate level of concern uh, of, of protecting against Russian aggression. There are a lot of problems here in the homeland within the U.S. that get completely overshadowed, that, that get no airtime. And while I don't wish any nation to be subject to invasion, you know what? You got to take care of the things at home first. And with, without the, uh, the homeland 
issues being addressed. Uh, in fact, they, they're, people are discouraged from even talking about them. And then uh, saying, you know, uh, saying on one hand, uh, you know, American flags are evil and, you know, we should fly Ukrainian flags during, during the State of the Union. This stuff just doesn't add up. It, it looks like a lot of uh, conflicts of, uh, of interest here. So uh, earlier, I'm trying to go through my notes here about how this all ties together uh, with uh, um, <clears throat> uh, with uh, 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 Ukraine. We talked earlier about HIV research uh, and um, potentially uh, some of the HIV breakouts being related to hepatitis B vaccines. And uh, the uh, chimpanzees that they used for those uh, were stored at uh, rescue facilities in the nation of Liberia. Uh, well, interestingly enough, okay, interestingly enough, uh, that facility just recently burned down, a uh, major fire about two weeks ago. Also, that facility is very close to the Ebola outbreak that they had in Liberia in 2014 which uh, was, uh, had the response coordinated by, again, Metabiota, same freaking company, and John Wolf. Hmm. All right. Is this lab fire of, of, this, of these chimpanzees research data? What else in Liberia somehow connected to Ukraine? That seems like an obnoxious thing to say until you start looking into the history and realize that Ukraine seemed to have had a, an inappropriate level of support or provided uh, inappropriate level of support for, for Liberia. Uh, Ukraine has sent many helicopters, hundreds of troops to Liberia as pe for peacekeeping purposes. Why? That doesn't, that, again, that doesn't add up. Um, and then if you start breaking down the Ebola response, you go, huh, interesting. A vaccine was provided by who? New Link Genetics, paid for by Defense Threat Reduction Agency who actually told New Link Genetics in 2014 specifically to hire Dr. Robert Malone to help broker uh, the uh, on-the-shelf uh, Ebola vaccine technology to Merck Corporation, who, yes, the same Merck that produced the hepatitis B vaccine that some say might be connected to the AIDS outbreak. We could, we could, I could bore you to death for hours on all of these connections. But these stories are all related. Whatever is going on in Ukraine right now, um, I'm not taking Russia's side on it at all. I don't know. But certainly you see things happening in now China and Liberia and other places around the world in lockstep uh, tied to events with the same freaking subcontractors like Metabiota from years ago. Um, it's more than just Ukraine. It does feel as though that... Uh, uh, the, 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 there are people who have uh, who are opposed to what Russia is doing for reasons beyond just uh, Ukraine's sovereignty uh, and freedom, and because they don't like Putin. It does feel as though uh, it, it there is a risk of potentially exposing uh, other investments and other moves that the U.S., maybe even the World Bank, have been making with bio uh, with with biodefense, with genetic research, etc. 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 Ukraine is not just isolated. There is it is connected to these other um, these other long uh, long long standing efforts. Yeah. Uh, uh, John, Stephen, um, I'm done on that. 
Okay, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's interesting too, you know, kind of uh, from a symbolic standpoint, it seems like, uh, you know, John, I've talked about this before, but I mean, I think a lot of the events in Ukraine were at least partly inspired by the, uh, the attempted color revolution in Kazakhstan that had happened shortly before and of course as you said that was allegedly the site of the uh, the russian bio warfare facility it was uh, i think also two or a major part of the uh the uh the belt and road initiative had been announced a couple of years prior to uh with china so uh you know again we don't really think of Kazakhstan a lot here in the west but it has a lot of uh symbolic meaning uh, on the other side of the world there so i mean yeah kind of got the ball rolling on the whole thing with you Ukraine, or at least in some senses. So yeah, it's uh, fascinating to see how that kind of ties in as well. And uh, also, again, with the uh, potential significance it would have to the uh, Belt and Road Initiative that China is the major, uh, major driving force behind. And on the note of China, what do you got for us on Wuhan and biodefense and all this, Mark? Uh, uh. <laughs> Uh, if, if any of you haven't watched, uh, Jonathan Cooey, Giggle Home Biological, check him out. Great show. Uh, I agree with his position on this one, that the whole, uh, the whole lab leak versus zoonotic thing is the wrong argument to be having. Uh, I haven't, I mean, there, there is some evidence that could have been a lab thing, but, uh, if I had to guess, I don't really think it was actually either of those. It seems to be more like uh, an orchestrated event with some agent that who knows where it was actually produced. It didn't come in unexpectedly through a wet market. And it wasn't because some guy, you know, stepped in something, uh, you know, and, and, and tracked it outside the lab with his you know, on his shoe. I don't think that's the case of it, you know, either. It's something else. And they're encouraging everyone to take side A or side B. You know, do you want to, you know, are you a red guy or are you a blue guy? Are you a natural guy or are you the lab guy? When in reality, it's something in the middle and no one's actually having an accurate or a, 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 a fruitful, correct <laughs> discussion about what might have happened uh, in, in Wuhan. But look, you look at all the, the fingers pointing there. Yes. Uh, uh, I, I'll tell you one thing, though, about the, the Wuhan and the connection to Fort Detrick, though, uh, that uh, will blow me away or, or, or blow you away, is that there is only one fully confirmed uh, potential biosafety level for lab leak in the world in the year 2019. And that's, that was actually Fort Detrick. It was USAMRIT. And let me explain. Uh, <clears throat> there were multi, there was a, a series of lab violations that happened at the USAMR lab uh, during the year 2019 under the uh, under the the leadership of a of a Dr. Sina Bavari there, who was their longtime scientific director. Uh, some of them were as simple as someone accidentally leaving a door propped open. You know, there's certain uh, rules that you need to follow, you know, uh, room pressure, temperature, all this other stuff, uh, ventilation requirements to maintain the BSL-4 certification, biosafety level for certification, accreditation. Now, there is a, 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 an odd spin of the rule. Uh, interp uh, there's an odd rule where uh, if your BSL-4 laboratory fails to uh, meet 
the, all the requirements, the, the continued uh, checks that they do, um, that they will uh, it will lose its BSL four certification, and then as a as a as a consequence of that, they actually uh, deregister the inventory from the uh, Federal Select Agents Tracking Program. So there's actually a period of time where uh, pathogens that are within the lab could potentially be added or removed or exchanged without detection if if it if it fails to meet the the certification levels all right so we don't actually know if anything came or went but we don't we can't say that that didn't happen also curiously uh that scientific director uh at the time dr sina bavari after a 20 a story 20 year career um as their scientific director he's a ukrainian uh, iranian born uh individual came to the united states when he was 17 um, yeah, running our running our uh, most uh, our our most dangerous facility, probably the most dangerous facility in the world. <clears throat> uh, he decides to uh, retire in August, actually September of 2019. He went on to become a uh, a consult, uh, start his own company. He's a consultant for it's either Pfizer or Moderna. Uh, in his last research paper that he wrote uh, was. Um, uh, the manufacture and production of uh, of uh, vax of, of general purpose uh, vaccines for coronaviruses. I kid you not. I kid you not uh, that he wrote in tandem with a uh, a Dr. Allison Tortura, who was the last uh, PhD candidate uh, that was uh, that had her uh, PhD reviewed and approved by Ralph Barrick. Of, uh, of UNC Chapel Hill, again, bringing us back to another curious uh, Wuhan lab uh, uh, connection. So there, there's a lot of, there's no shortage of dirt here. There's a, there's a lot of dirty hands. Uh, it uh, appears as though the US might've had a role if one is willing and daring enough to be uh, to uh, entertain such ideas that maybe this wasn't just a, 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 a bat soup accident that happened over there. I'm in the camp that uh, it was something uh, engineered uh, and uh, the United States probably uh, uh, did have a, uh, did, did have a role with it. John. No, I got, I got nothing to add about that about um Wuhan or anything that you said i mean again it's the million dollar question was a gain of function did it come out of the Wuhan lab did it come out of fort dietrich did it come somewhere else was it bat or pangolin or snake or whatever i guess we'll never truly know the answer to that question total death count in all of china is about what four thousand that's if now the counter argument to that would be that's if the communist Chinese government is adequately reporting that death count. Um, but I mean, my money's on obviously it's COVID's gain of function. Obviously, it's mm -hmm. and it's multiple things. It, you know, it's uh, I, I suspect it's probably more uh, food and water born than uh, than respiratory. 
uh, in the United States is probably a lot of people that are on the death certificate died of COVID when they had so many other comorbidities. Or they died of medications given to them or reactions or... They might have... Yeah, exactly. So whatever, it, it's it's about building the narrative, right? And the and the, it's clear, the narrative that uh, some of the people behind the scenes seem to want is, oh my goodness, nature strikes again. Millions and millions and millions of people died and they were only saved by the medicine. Bow down kiss the feet of the scientists and that's it that's the narrative uh so uh the, the more you can jack up those death numbers uh the happier uh the uh, uh, uh the people who might be behind this thing will be and it doesn't matter how they died right as long it all matters is how what the documentation says again what's the end game you know look at the end game and go backwards is the end game to kill people with an engineered virus? I don't I think the end game is to get people on the medication. You do whatever you need to do to get there. Or the or the vaccines or whatever, yeah. Yeah, the, the new era of vaccines. They have been wanting this new era of vaccines. They've been trying to get there for decades. Finally, they got gene therapy out there. They have been wanting to do this since the 1980s. They've been toying around with this stuff. And, and time and time again, they've hit a roadblock. Finally, they had a pandemic big enough. They got their emergency use authorization. Maybe the mRNA didn't work that well. But you know what? Gosh darn it. We finally proved that it kind of sort of could possibly work. And uh, you know what? Now we're just going to give people who aren't dying right away uh, 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 boosters and more and more boosters until we finally get the survival statistics up. <laughs> this is the level of psychopathy behind the stuff, Stephen. It's, it's like, okay, we killed all the people that are probably going to die in the first shot. So now that we know these people aren't dying on boosters, so let's give them more boosters because we just want to continue to manipulate the statistics in a way that works for us. Yeah. I sigh. I'm just running out of steam here. I just sigh because uh, uh, maybe I do have a lot of uh, subject matter expertise on this stuff right now, but it's effing depressing. Yes, it, it truly <laughs> is, man. It truly is. Oh, my goodness. Well, um, John, what have you got for us on the uh, the vaccines and also to, um, you know, kind of on the issue with China, too? China has a vaccine that was uh, rather different than the one that we got in Europe and the U.S. and even Russia, right? Sinopharm, yes, it was. Um, Sinopharm was an inactivated uh, COVID viron, uh, which is kind of like a traditional vaccine. Um, so yes, it was different than the mRNA vaccines or the adenovirus viral vector vaccines uh, that were given uh, throughout the world. Uh, so you have the um, mRNA vaccine with the uh, Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, uh, and you have um, which was uh, the mRNA was encapsulated in a uh, a lipid bilayer. Um, and uh, they call um, uh, liposphere, um, and uh, it would enter a cell, 
and then it, uh, would the, the liposphere would dissolve and then the mRNA would go to the ribosomes, which then would produce uh, spike protein uh, pre presenting antigens on the surface of a cell, and then the immune system supposedly would uh, destroy that cell, and then it'd be very limited, so they say, that it wouldn't get into the bloodstream, it'd just be very limited to the muscular tissue where the shot is given, um, and uh, eventually you would gain uh, immunity uh, to COVID-19 uh, from that vaccine where the adenovirus viral vector vaccines were different, which would be the AstraZeneca, Oxford, um, Johnson Johnson vaccines, where uh, they would enter the cell, go to the nucleus, and then inject um, uh, coronaviral uh, DNA, uh, which later um, uh, information would be taken from uh, the DNA uh, to the ribosomes to produce spike protein antigens uh, using messenger RNA for its purpose. Uh, and um, the uh, vaccines just had numerous issues uh, associated uh, with uh, their use. Um, there's numerous side effects that have been uh, mentioned on the um, VAERS database, uh, people having anaphylactic shock to the vaccine preparations themselves, either containing polysorbate 80 or polyethylene glycol that when injected, uh, even though they contain no proteins, can still trigger an anaphylactic allergic uh, reaction, especially people who are allergic to those chemicals. Um, Inflammation from the spike protein and of itself production generation of the cells that are destroyed by the immune system uh, to gain uh, immunity, even though, as Jonathan Cooey has mentioned, uh, Gigahome Biological, uh, the immunity from said COVID vaccines are not a strong one, especially when it comes to T cell uh, and B cell uh, um, immunity um, compared to antibody immunity. Uh, from getting a standard COVID infection is, is much greater than getting the vaccines. The vaccines definitely weighed, uh, waned over time. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, the, the vaccines in and of themselves are, um, my opinion, uh, ineffective at best, harmful at worst. I likely lean to the harmful category. And uh, we're going to see a lot of autoimmune conditions. I've seen some coaching for Fix Your Gut myself. People have been vaccine injured from the vaccines. Uh, it affects uh, their microbiome uh, negatively. Uh, it causes um, autoimmune tissue to show up. Um, and uh, one of the biggest issues it seems to cause is the spike protein causes in and of itself and coronavirus is uh, clot formation uh, and tissue damage. And as Dr. Kevin McCarran has mentioned, uh, possibly as COVID can cause itself, uh, prion neogenesis in the brain. Prions are misshapen proteins that can cause uh, a cognitive deficiencies, dementia, and a disease called crutzfeld jakobs syndrome. crutzfeld jakobs syndrome is like human mad cow. It's a spongy, spongy form uh, brain disorder. Um, and so uh, both COVID and 
the vaccinations because of the spike protein infiltration of the brain uh, may cause uh, numerous uh, Creutzfeldt-Jakob's disease cases and dementia cases uh, pop up across the world in the next five to 10 years, possibly. Also, polysorbate 80, uh, which is an additive in the vaccine, so some of them, uh, if I remember correctly, primarily the adenovirus uh, DNA vaccines, um, increases the pores of the blood-brain barrier and increases uh, prion neogenesis in the brain. Uh, so you have both spike protein and the polysorbate 80 trigger and prion production. Uh, so yeah, the vaccines are a real crap show. Um, talked about it at length in other streams. I've spent hours here discussing my issues with them, uh, but they're definitely not good. That is for sure. So. All right. So how about the hero, the current hero, the anti-vax movement, Dr. Robert Malone? Uh, do you guys have anything else on this guy? Go ahead, Mark. That's your you cover. Him. Uh, that's the last thing we're going to be covering, everyone. I am increasingly skeptical of vaccine of of a lot of vaccination technology. Uh, I, was, I, I will say that much. So I have to um, precede what I say with that. I I agree with Dr. Robert Malone and his uh, position on sparing children of this, uh, of uh, being uh, subjected to this medical experimentation. I agree with his, this new position on probably being uh, less trusting of a lot of these technologies overall for all populations. But my problem with Robert Malone is that he is as deep inside of this machine as anyone. And it would mean, it would mean a lot if he could just confess to what his role in this machine has been. In particular, uh, there would have been no emergency use authorizations any mRNA technology at all, period, if Robert Malone did not uh, 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 work with the Defense Threat Reduction Agency, DTRA, and use their computer systems, such as the uh, domain system, was that the, I can't even remember what that uh, acronym stands for, to determine that no available therapeutics other than remdesivir uh, would work for COVID-19, in order to, uh, the way the emergency use authorization uh, system is uh, codified into law, all right, is that if there happens to be a new novel pathogen, something we've never seen before, you could, uh, the, the Food and Drug Administration could bypass traditional uh, testing of new products if uh, no existing product would be helpful in protecting people uh, against or helping people recover from this new disease. So what they said was, well, we uh, let's just uh, let's just cut the physicians out of this and use computer scientists and computational chemistry to determine if any of these ten or twenty thousand FDA-approved uh, uh, medicines would work. 
they've never used this system before. They never used this approach before. So uh, a system that was designed, they only announced the Defense Threat Reduction Agency, DTRA, only announced the system in uh, November. And Malone uh, and someone he's worked with before, uh, David Hone, uh, Dr. David Hone, H-O-N-E, mentioned in the RFK Jr. book, uh, uh, ran the uh, chemistry uh, for the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And what do you know? What, what pops up the top answer? Remdesivir. Everything else is crap, but remdesivir is on top. Okay, well, that means that remdesivir, according to this system, should save lives against people who are suffering from SARS-CoV-2. But, but if there's a lot of remdesivir around, that means you don't need to seek any emergency use authorizations. So what did Robert Malone's uh, frequent collaborator, Rick Bright, and yes, you'll find Rick Bright and Robert Malone side by side, a lot of barter events, uh, bar BARDA events for the last 12 years do. They bought up the majority of the supply of remdesivir, saying that they needed to protect it against being used by the Chinese or some nonsense like that, creating an artificial shortage, meaning that even though remdesivir was certain to work because of the, uh, the domain systems, uh, that uh, we still need to uh, uh, provide an EOA for something amazing, which is probably these mRNA uh, vaccines, such as from uh, Pfizer and BioNTech. Malone played a critical, critical role in this. I cannot emphasize enough how all of this use of remdesivir was facilitated by Fauci, Malone, Sina Bavari, um, and some of the orchestration of Patient Zero in the Snohomish County, Washington, uh, by some people at Georgetown University. Robert Malone played a key role in every single EUA of every medicine used for coronavirus and all of the remdesivir, period. Now, if he made a mistake, fine. Scientists make mistakes. I will not hold that against him. But the claim, to have the audacity to claim to be the hero of the day and be one of the most, one of the persons, the top 10 people responsible for this quagmire that has killed so many people. The audacity of that makes him, in my book, one of the most disgusting humans alive right now. I'm sorry. And, and, and if you want to talk 9-11, you want to talk Bruce Ivins, what are the freaking odds? What are the odds that he was working with Nancy Hagwood in the 1990s? The very same doctor who actually... Uh, wrote up Bruce Ivins as the person responsible for the anthrax letters. What are the odds that after working at the University of Maryland, this is Robert Malone, uh, 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 with a lead role in HIV research in the 1990s, he leaves and decides to join the Uniformed Health Services in 2000 and is actually working at a primate lab 10 miles from Shanksville on September 11, 2001. What are the odds that he is the person hired by the Defense Threat Reduction Agency to work at Newland Corporation under the, under the uh, oversight of, of Thomas Monath to broker the Ebola vaccine that was manufactured and produced by the labs up in Canada? Yes, Francis Plummer, dead. Uh, uh, Dr. Chi, missing. Um, uh, and to make it available to Merck Corporation. And... and and he had a key role with respect to Zika virus 
I highly doubt that was just a mosquito-borne virus, all those poor children that were born with the defects. And now, now have that, that the role of remdesivir and uh, the EUAs being made available for, uh, for the treatment. And now to say that he's the anti-vaxxer hero, I, I'm, I, I just want him to admit what his role is. And, and then to not even mention the name Dr. John Wolfe, W-O-L-F-F which was the lead name on the paper regarding the possibility of using mRNA uh, as a, uh, as a, as a put, hypothetically as a, uh, as a vaccination or an immunization method. That was the lead name. Dr. John Wolf died of cancer uh, in early 2020. Never gives the guy credit. Always says, me, me, me. I'm the guy that invented this stuff. Uh, maybe I'm going to hell for saying this. And if I have it wrong, I apologize. But he is one of the people at the top responsible for all of the medicines and all of the handling of this epidemic. And yes, his wife's uh, father is British intelligence. There's that too. Um, John, any color you can add to that? Was I a little too harsh? Uh, you're not going to hell uh, for if you're wrong about Robert Malone. Uh, but I, I'll say... Uh, um, Malone, of course, partnered with uh, um, Reliance Life Services, some uh, biotechnological uh, uh, big pharma Indian company uh, to pimp uh, the vaccine Relcovax. Uh, you can go look and search for his video where he gives a presentation about Rokovax. So Robert Malone is supposed to be anti-vaccines, anti-COVID vaccines, but he's not even close. Uh, so there you go. So. Oh, yeah. And then in the famotidine trials, which were botched, uh, he worked with a small hospital out in um, uh, Illinois uh, and their, uh, their director of infectious diseases. And a co-author on the paper is actually the daughter of one of the uh, former prime ministers of India. Actually, the prime minister that that uh, sold India out to the IMF. So there's that too. Sounds like a wonderful human being all around. Brings joy everywhere. Um, probably not since the glory days of Dr. Uh, Jolly West. <laughs> he uh, brings joy to other people, Stephen. <laughs> you know, uh, John and I are talking. I wouldn't be surprised if he makes a go at president at this point. Oh, yeah. I mean, People love him. He's at all the reawakened America tours and everywhere. And he's out there. He's, 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 I mean, you got to see the pictures of him on his horses. Oh, man. Maybe they could do like a one with him and uh, Durham for VP or something. Yes. Uh, it on. All right, John Boy. So, what do you got for us in Operation Tiberius Kirk and Warp Speed? Yeah, I'll make this short. Uh, so uh, I, I, there's a more in-depth video on my We Read the Documents Libre channel. Uh, so Operation Tiberius Kirk was specifically developed for Operation Warp Speed. It was a crime effort led by the Department of Health and Human Services and the Defense Department to develop, manufacture, and deliver a safe and effective COVID-19 vaccines to all Americans. Operation Tiberius Kirk was uh, started under the Trump administration, renewed during the Biden administration, and continues today. Tiberius is a software platform that was, of course, developed by Peter Thiel's Palantir. The United Kingdom has used uh, Palantir services for the COVID-19 data collection response. However, their contract ended around September 2021, and the data was supposedly transferred to a 
program built by Europe's largest defense firm, BAE Symptoms Systems, shows it. The UK government has been criticized for how it handled sensitive data during the pandemic. The NHS allowed palatier access to sensitive personal data. The patients, employees, and members of the public through the agreement required that the data stripped of personal identifiers or aggregated before being shared. Um, Incorporating information from multiple sources, including U.S. Census, vaccine tracking system, and commercial logistics companies, Tiberius provides visibility of each effort within Operation Warp Speed, from manufacturing and allocation of vaccine to granular planning of vaccine administration sites to the provider level. That's right. You heard that right, folks. It goes from the manufacturing and production of vaccines to the distribution of vaccines to the vaccines that are that are used at uh, your local pharmacies and doctor's offices and Walmarts and blah, 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 to they go into your arm. The moment that they go into your arm, okay, um, or even COVID testing throughout the United States that's giving in a clinical setting, the moment this occurs, all of your previous, current, and future health data for up to a decade or more is automatically entered in, categorized in the Palantir's Tiberius system, which means at that point, Palantir has access to your most personal medical data. Okay, so all wow. these leftists out there and all these progressives that like to shout from the top of the rooftops that Palantir is horrible, which they are, that Peter Till's the devil, which he is, uh, you know, very much evil, uh, and, and that he's, you know, racist, blah, 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 blah. The moment I tell them, hey, when you went to go get your jabba jabba do down there at the pharmacy, you gave all of your medical history and rights to Palantir. They kind of look at me with a blank stare in their face and they say, but vaccine good. OK, so, yeah, good luck with all that. So um, the United States divided into 64 jurisdictions within the within the Tiberius program. Uh, United States uh, territories and large metropolitan cities work inside the Tiberius platform. Decide where their allocated doses will go from local doctor's office to large medical centers. These decisions then sit distributors to deliver vaccines across the country. So there you go. Uh, medical tracking and data management for all. All brought to us by Peter Till and Palantir. So if you go to Palantir's website, one last final thing. You are responding to COVID-19. We are humbled to be supporting a diverse range of institutions as they respond to COVID-19 pandemic and adapt for the future. Here you can find updates to our work information on our approach to protecting privacy because, of course, they abide by all HIPAA regulations, Stephen and Mark. I mean, come on. It's Palantir. We have to trust them even though they've been busted by numerous journalists and watchdog groups for years of all the data that Palantir is either categorized from itself or its numerous uh, companies associated with Palantir, uh, that they give a total uh, rat's butt uh, about your uh, data safety. Okay. Uh, so um, uh, they, they mentioned, uh, you can click on their privacy and they talk about, or, um, that we believe it's critical to uphold uh, our values during a crisis. Learn more about our values. You click on protecting privacy and civil liberties. Okay. That's extremely important about dear. All right. We believe it's critical to hold our values during a crisis. Okay. So they keep saying our values. So what's our values? 
I click on our values and it lists as a medium article, best practices for using data during a crisis. So for 15 years, Palantir has helped institutions use data effectively yet responsibly. Okay. So they list their, uh, uh, bull crap platitudes of how they make sure your data is safe. Okay. And then, so they talk about, uh, organizations must maintain the highest privacy and data protection standards, even under extraordinary circumstances. Our longstanding commitment to building privacy protective technology ensures that our partners can integrate and analyze their own data in ways that are consistent with legal and ethical considerations. Public and private institutions around the world have trusted Palantir software to help them make use of the most sensitive data for more than 15 years. So was anybody that went to get the Jabba Dabba do or was uh, tested for uh, COVID-19 in a clinical setting, was it disclosed to them that Palantir would have all their past, present, and future medical data in history? Uh, no. No, so but they I, were told that you could die, but at least you'll die with uh, less severe COVID symptoms. That's correct. They were told that lie. Uh, so, of course, we have uh, pal public health agencies around the world are using Palantir to create national common operating pictures to drive the responses. Palantir lets each agency create a unified catalog of data to power response workflows, tracking, analyze the spread of COVID-19, measuring the effectiveness of mitigation strategies, medications, therapeutics, and vaccinations. According to local institutions, such as hospitals and medical supply manufacturers, they used to be able to click this, watch the demo, and go to a YouTube channel. We could literally watch a doctor put in all of this and export all of this medical data on a patient and a demo that just got their vaccine. But now when you click, when you click on watch the demo, well, it doesn't give you that. It leads you to a special site where you have to provide all your information to Palantir to be able to watch the demo now, okay, because they really closed down shop. Uh, so they got that. So, uh, yeah, there you, you, you go. Uh, now let me ask you, now let me ask you something. We're close. Do you trust Palantir with all your past, current and future medical history? Do you trust I mean, them? It's named after a Lord of the Rings reference, John. I mean, what could go wrong with that, man? No, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, serious, like all these liberals and progressives and all these open source intelligence researchers on Twitter, I always bring this to them and ask them. I mean, it's right there out in the front and none of them like they literally make these 15, 20, 30 thread diatribes about how evil Palantir is. And I say, hey, is it this a problem? And they'll either go, yeah, and not say anything else, literally just say yes. Or they'll completely ignore it and look like a deer in headlights because vaccine good and government's response to COVID good because Biden's in power. But when Trump's in power, it was a real crap show. But now since Biden's in power, now, now we're close. Why would Biden continue a Peter Till Palantir response with Operation Tiberius Kirk? Why would that continue? I'm, I'm quite confused. And why would the news media praise Operation Tiberius Kirk when it was running under the Trump administration, but write negatively about it when it's under the Biden administration? But I thought the media hates Trump. And then I don't know. There's so many contradictions here, man. I just don't get it. It must be my cognitive biases. Got to be something, man. Well, uh, to wrap up here, while we're on the uh, glorious Biden administration, what is this this cancer moonshot thingy? Uh, Biden's going to solve cancer by using mRNA technology. 
Oh, okay. That was funded also during the Obama administration, but now we're finally getting around to it because uh, it works so well with the COVID vaccines and it's going to work so well in treating Declan cancer. Okay, so get ready. Uh, we got to fight cancer. Everybody's got to go get their mRNA shot to fight cancer. Okay, it's got to be done. All right, that's what cancer moonshot is. Uh, we got to cure cancer. So let's do uh, We got we got some data. Okay, we got some data, experimental data on mRNA with the COVID vaccines, but this time we really got it right, you guys. We really got it right now. I know treating cancer is different, okay, than attacking a virus, okay, that we gain a function. I mean, I mean, oh, sorry about that. I didn't mean to say that. It was a, it was a, a zoonautical. Um, so we know we got that right, you know, disregard all the people that have been sick or maimed or killed from the vaccines we played in the various database that that is more than all vaccines in reported history in the United States, but forget all that. Uh, now we're, um, we're going to get it right this time. And we're going to treat, even though there's, you know, different causes of cancer, different types of cancer, cancer affects different cells of the body differently, but don't worry. We got a solution. We got a solution of MRNA tailored just for you from that, uh, from the uh, uh, medical history, maybe your genes, uh, if you ever had any genetic testing through 23andMe that we took all that information from Palantir when you went to go get your jab for the COVID-19. But don't worry about that. We're going to tailor made this vaccine for you and you can get right off your cancer. You get right healed right then and there. We got a cure for cancer. And here it is. That 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 That's a uh, uh, cancer moonshot in a nutshell. Did I miss anything, Mark? It brings us uh, for a full circle back to... Uh the virus cancer program all the way back to <laughs> what we talking about early West Nile using viruses to cause cancers, using viruses to cure cancers, um, viruses being the gateway to the human genome, cancers being a genetic issue. Uh, this, uh, this, this has been in the works for a long time. Uh, and many of these companies, uh, well, one company in particular that, uh, <laughs> Uh, Robert Malone's wife did the incorporation paperwork for Inovio USA, uh, was actually a, a, a vaccine company, a DNA vaccine company, which was founded uh, with the vision of, um, of uh, using their, uh, their technology to uh, cure cancers. And it's not about slightly reduced symptoms of COVID. I mean, come on. Uh, this is, uh, it's all, it's all going to tie back to genetics. And this is the U-turn that they've been waiting for. Oh, yeah, and sadly enough, as uh, and John might have already said this, cancer rates are increasing now. Uh, people who uh, had cancer in remission. Now, Mark, that would have nothing to do with, with... Now, that would have nothing to do with the COVID vaccines, okay? That would have nothing to do with COVID itself, okay? Or the therapeutic agents, okay? Now, I, now, now Trump said that Regeneron was a gift from God and it's made from humanized mice. And I know it's a blasphemy, okay? You know, but... But it can, can none of these experimental drugs and treatments in this uh, this gain of function, I mean, a zoonautical a disease could trigger increased cancer rates. Now, Mark, and, no, that could never happen. And the reason why all these young athletes are dying is because of harsh and scary whistleblowing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not, I, I, don't call me a truther. I'm not out there to like wake people up. I'm out there to, you know, protect myself, try to figure out what's going on. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, meet some friends along the way 
and, uh, and, and do what we can. I don't, I, you can't, we can have all the evidence in the world. And if people don't want to see it, they're not prepared to see it. It doesn't matter. Uh, it's, it, it was just odd coincidences chance that I'm at a situation where I am right now saying all this crap that I just said tonight, as opposed to, um, still having my old job in a big tech company and being on my fourth job. Right. Uh, uh, it's, I don't know what we could say or do. Otherwise we just have to be cool and uh, trust each other, continue to archive this stuff and hope the worst case scenario that uh, is going through our minds is not realized. Yeah. But I don't think it's going to be because of us, you know, holding up a sign and protesting and getting out the vote and all of that other stuff. There's, no. uh, there's, there's bigger things at play here. And I think everyone in the audience knows what we're talking about. Yeah, Anyways. yeah. that's all we can do mm. is just trust to the Lord. And I guess one last final thing about all this um, is, look, after all we discussed tonight about quote-unquote biodefense in the United States government, among other governments, testing biowarfare on their populace and against other people that are not part of their country, that's not part of their populace, okay? After we laid all this out, if we laid out all the experiments they've done, I mean, outside of the Tuskegee experiment, there's hundreds of thousands that are documented, okay? Out of all the drugs that have been recalled by the FDA uh, that were approved, the lives that were lost, the pushing of Oxycontin, for example, or by the Sackler family, through all of that, somehow people still trust and have faith in their major medical institutions that, that the COVID-19 vaccines that were rushed and were not tested properly are safe and effective. Now they're going to say that these, co these uh, cancer or mRNA uh, fighting uh, therapeutic agents are going to work properly and people are going to stand up in line and they're going to roll up their sleeves and they're going to get a shot because the government is right, Big Pharma's right, and they're going to take their medicine because they want to live. It's stuff like that that makes me sick. And I know a lot of people out there are probably rolling their eyes and say, John, how dare you say something like that? You must be a Russian agent or a Russian bot. Well, I hate to tell you, but I'm just trying to give you a, 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 a very bitter but truthful dose of medicine. And y'all people really need to look upon yourselves and really sit down and think for a moment especially the left that used to not really trust so much institutions are really used to sit and be skeptical of these things. You need to sit here and think, do these multi, multi-billion, trillion-dollar pharmaceutical companies and the governments as a whole have their best interests at heart? Do they really care about you? Do they really care about you? They don't give a flying crap about you, okay? And I'm not saying that the average person that works for these companies or government, you know, are they at fault? Do they know the true machinations? No, they don't. They're trying to do the best they can, and they may think that these things work. There's plenty of well-meaning doctors that think that, that that drugs that they yeah. prescribed work or or that the vaccines were. Now, there's many also pill-pushing doctors out there that really don't give a crap. They just care about money that are sociopaths do. Okay, they exist as well. We got to be real here. But it's just it's a state of the world that we live in. And I don't see how people just like they don't give a crap about Palantir having all their data once they get a jab because they think the jab's going to save them and they worship it as such. 
it, but they rail about Palantir all day long and Peter Terrell on Twitter about how horrible he is. You got to start putting things together. And look, there's stuff that I criticize till I'm blue in the face about conservatives and what they believe in and how it doesn't make any sense and how they bow down and curtail to the counts for national policy and all the <laughs> loudmouth speakers that are on, you know, news agencies that are CMP. And I do that all the time. People call me a communist and a socialist and blah, blah, blah. But I'm a conservative Christian, you know, but I mean, it's, it's the world that we live in. People got to wake up. They got to realize they got to realize that no one ain't going to save them. But God, and at this point, all this technology is 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 we're going to have to pay the price sooner or later for it. And, and the, the, the you know, the, the experiments that the elite are running, it's taking a massive toll. We we are giving our children and our children's children to the government, to the elite, for all of this data, for what? We're getting nothing in return for it. It's sickening. It's really sad how far people have fallen to this, fallen for this stuff, hook, line, and sinker. It's, it, it, uh, it blows my mind. I, got, I hope I'm making sense and not rambling here. No, it's late, that's, but it's ridiculous. Yeah, no, well said, yeah, you, you, you hit it there. Uh, people aren't getting anything in return. Uh, I actually find the whole field of genetics absolutely fascinating. Um, but, uh, there's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a heavy cost. Uh, I'm, uh, it, I may actually lose credibility if I state just how high I think the cost could be, uh, but it's going to be, it could be extremely high. Um, so it should be measured. It should be paced. Uh, and people who decide to, uh, volunteer to be part of the research, um, should be heavily uh, compensated. Uh, they should know full well the risks. And the biggest uh, on, thing is, is they're not even telling us any of this stuff because no, they never have. It's it's no, we don't even get a consent in this. It's horrible. You know, it's 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 as if this is the this is the next phase of uh, of challenge uh, that uh, that that God is putting out there for civilization. You know, here's this here's this incredibly tempting technology. And uh, you know what? Uh, are, are humans literally going to kill each other over over it? And if so, we failed. So how are you know? How can we approach this? What uh, can we be disciplined? Can we be respectful? Can we be more faithful? I mean, I'm getting there, uh, but man, this it's going to bring out some of the worst. You see it. You, you see it. You, you, when you see the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few uh, uh, thinking being used, saying, ah, you know, a few billion people died, but so what? You know, we learned a few things. We got a few more data points. I don't know. But I'm glad to be here with you guys. You know, you make it possible. John, Stephen, thank you so much. Thank you for my friends, my Patreon supporters, uh, the the Neighborhood News, uh, you guys uh, let me on your channel and for everyone else. Uh, it's been great. I met some of my, probably some of the best friends of my life, like you, you John, you know, <laughs> in this process. Uh, it's scary times, but uh, have faith, be strong, everyone, and realize that this is not just a one-time jab thing. This is going to, this is probably going to be the rest of our lives, even yeah. if we live to old age. It's yeah. a long-term thing. Don't burn yourself out. Uh, yeah, I know it's hard stuff. Don't burn out, though. Um, um, John, and the last advice, and I think that's it for me. I am 
brain dead right now. Uh, I'm brain dead too. I'm out. I got nothing else. Thank yeah. you, Stephen, for having us on the farm as yeah. always, brother. Thanks again, guys, for dropping by. It's uh, been a great chat, and uh, I'm sure everybody has uh, enjoyed it considerably. And on that note, we will sign off for now. Good night and good luck to you all.